Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Gator is in the chat already, which we love. He was hella early. We appreciate you, man. Thanks for tuning in. Holy crap. I didn't know if we were going to get this one in, but we got it in before the season kicked off. This is the Full Tail Dynasty Podcast Network. This is episode 151. And uh, to say that there's a lot happening right now would be an absolutely horrific understatement. So I don't want to take... Too much time. I, of course, am joined by my regular co-hosts here. We've got Jacob, FF underscore RTDB. we got Big Billy, FF. You can find me at Thomas Tipple, FF on the Bird app. But today, you know, it was episode 113. You joined us last time, Scott. And since then, lots have changed. And we are going to discuss some of that. You are a busy man. We thank you. Uh, just absolutely excited. Loved your Loved your last article, man. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I had a blast last time, so uh, great to be back. Love love that. Jacob, uh, you've been on the Twitter streets all day updating depth charts. Uh, uh, hey, man, this is, this, this is the day of my dreams, man. Like, uh, my pri- <laughs> everybody else cares about, you know, round one running backs, round two running backs. All, all I care about is your round 27 dynasty picks uh, <laughs> and which running backs are making 53s. So I've, I've been in my element all day out here just grinding – which round seven and UDFA players are still on life support. It's a lovely day to be alive. Correct. Uh, definitely. I also appreciated your uh, comment on the Ravens not giving a shit about our running back yeah, model. The Ravens, I love. Get, the, this is like my take on the Ravens is that this is like the nerds owning themselves where the Ravens, because they're the most woke franchise in the NFL, they realize that like running back doesn't matter. And then this is like the children of the forest creating the white walkers where like then all of the nerds that whine about running backs not mattering are then mad when the Ravens cut their like fun, talented young running backs to play old dusty dudes because they don't know that running back doesn't matter. So they're just playing these dusty dudes. They think aren't going to fuck up their, the rest of their offense. Uh, it, and it owns us. It owns the nerds. We get a new version of Latavius Murray and Devonta Freeman in, uh, in this yes. year's Mike, Mike Davis, Kenyon Drake. Uh, all the door. <laughs> Billy, you had mentioned that you might it might uh, be time to start being concerned about the New England draft <laughs> process. Asiasi and Keen both yated from the roster already in one of the worst uh, set of drafting decisions I've ever seen uh, be made. I agree with you, man. Absolutely yeah. horrific. Uh, it's I, I was just going to say, Billy, there's been a ton of cuts today and we will have a ton of time to get into that. But we have for once here on the program, a little bit of a time crunch. We can't be going, Scott, last time you were here, we loved it. We had to release it in two parts. We just could not get enough of the convo and the information. And I loved it. But I want to get to what brought us here today. That is, I, we talked about it before. Your My Guys for 2022 article is up. It is live on Fantasy Points. You should be going, subscribing to Fantasy Points to get all of the information. I just want to hit a couple of points and then give Jacob and Billy their opportunity to let the people know who their 2022 My Guys are. Who is it going to be this year when you started writing the article, Scott, who was the first player that came to mind that you just you had to get pen to paper, or I guess a keyboard to screen now? Um, I don't know. That's a that's a pretty good question. Uh, it it kind of happens more organically than that, where 
you know, there's guys I like as values and then I'll, I'll write them up. And sometimes just with that write up, like I really just sway myself. And that was exactly the case with Justin Fields, right? where I thought, you know, Trey Lance was going to be my guy. Um, and uh, yeah, I just kept writing it and I like let it marinate. And uh, it really, really swayed me where, you know, at value at ADP, I like Justin Fields considerably more. Um, and then um, I guess at the other positions, I mean, like Kamara was just always standing out. His ADP's finally budged a little bit, but he was going like late round two on Yahoo. He might still be going late round two on Yahoo. And it just seemed like no one really adjusted for that injury risk. Maybe this is like really stupid and Mark Ingram's going to be far more involved than anyone wants, but that's my RB3. Right. It, Toronto, it, Toronto Dave said Amon Ross St. Brown. That's definitely, definitely one of my guys. Love him this year. But yeah, like I'm dangerously high on, I just like, that's not a hot take. I just think he's the, the RB3. And so like, it's so rare to be able to get, and we were getting like round three Alvin Kamara like, from my top three running back, just like such a rare value that only comes you remember that time, like that brief time in our lives where we could draft McCaffrey, Barkley, and Kamara on the same team. <laughs> Special times. Right. That was, really, right. That, was a, that was like one of the best times we've ever had in, in life. Like if you <laughs> drew the one, one or one, two, like you could reliably draft McCaffrey, Barkley, Kamara on the same team and then draft no other running backs for the entire rest of your draft and you're, you're golden. That was like no. I've, a couple of those. That they were I'm going to be telling my grandkids one day about the time I was <laughs> – on underdog and drafted those three running backs. It's I, I I can't believe like those are the most to me some of the most panic inducing ones too because it could be like a stub toe, uh, a Jameis Winston game, and then a Christian McCaffrey got the ball thirty five times uh, too many and that's it. So yeah, it's, and then it's, a it's just panic an inducing disaster where I told you he was injury prone and it's. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean those. Love it. I just, I just remember like looking at that one day, and I just like kind of realized I was like, wow, like there's like a very realistic realistic possibility that I could be drafting like the RB one, RB two, and RB three, like in not even just like flukily, but like in expected fantasy points on on the same team. Like that's like actually a possibility, uh, and and all that fade comes down to you know suspension risk and injury risk and, and etc. But like at the ceiling in a in a tournament for a million dollars, like how can you not you know you have to have yeah. to. Uh, my when we had discussed Justin Fields, I I had mentioned that I was concerned. Uh, yeah, the offense isn't very good, and, and he doesn't really have a lot. Billy's a fake Packers fan, as he loves like every Chicago Bears uh, wide receiver ever. I, I think do. Darnell I Mooney's do. like a kind of like a fake alpha, but how does he not have X amount of targets? You know what I mean? So just bypassing all that, just basing it rushing only. You think he's still that elite option because this is the one when you and I were discussing that we like probably differed the most on. So I've come around, but I just, is it just purely based on the rushing and the offense just doesn't have to be very good. Yeah. So, so it's a few things. I, I have a really good track record on, on quarterbacks from, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Jalen hurts, all highest owned quarterbacks. And in every instance, it was a pretty mobile, sophomore quarterback and i'm just seeing a lot of uh similarities between trey lance and sophomore season patrick mahomes and 
Justin Fields and sophomore season, uh, uh, Lamar Jackson. And a key reason why I was so high on Lamar Jackson was because Greg Roman was coming in. He has this ridiculous history with hypermobile quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. The entire offense is going to be different when the year prior it was an offense designed around uh, Joe Flacco, which like clearly doesn't suit his skill set at all. And now, I mean, uh, Nagy, like one of the biggest donkeys in the NFL, uh, Justin Fields best game last year was the one game Nagy missed due to COVID. He scored 25 fantasy points. And so what you're seeing this year is everything you want to see. It's very RPO heavy, a lot of deep shots. You could say like, Komet and Mooney is very similar to Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown. But I think the biggest thing very is so to Mark Andrews. No, of course. No, I, I, I mean, I, I totally, but I just mean like yeah, a deep threat yeah, and a, and a <laughs> yeah. no, insanely. Yes. Uh, but it's uh, his big flaw coming out of college, supposedly by my PFF buddies was he couldn't work through his progressions and all preseason. You've seen a lot of one read throws and he's been, He's PFF's highest graded quarterback this preseason. He's, and I wrote this up before, before the preseason, mind you, but uh, basically it boils down to this. Like we know massive Konami code upside, top three all time and 40 yard dash speed score, hyper productive, prolific runner in college. And he like really, his numbers look horrible, but if you like his last six healthy games, he averaged eight carries per game, 56 rushing mm-hmm. yards per game, his last three full healthy games, he averaged 267 passing yards per game. All of those numbers were better than Josh Allen last year. Like that's just crazy yeah. to think about. But what it it boils down to is like I understand all of the concerns. It everything hinges on how much he runs. It's like, okay, his receiving course sucks. It sucks. Doesn't matter if he runs a lot. Okay, he has the worst offensive line in football. You're dead right. Doesn't matter if he runs a lot. Uh, pressures per dropback doesn't correlate at all to fantasy points with Konami code quarterbacks. Zero yeah. correlation. It does like it's massive for Tom Brady and guys like that. Doesn't so it all hinges on whether or not he runs a lot. And then you look at his ADP, his QB twenty five. He's round sixteen, and so it's there's zero risk. It's all upside from there. Mm-hmm. And so I usually you know screw drafting a QB two, but I I'm drafting uh, fields every time as my QB two. And, and the big thing with this is it gives way more credence to a late round quarterback approach, mm. which is the optimal strategy in a vacuum. Now it's like, okay, you could draft Trey Lance. You can draft, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Matthew Stafford, Kirk cousins, Derek Carr, whatever, who gives a fuck, but you have this, player with league winning QB one upside who's like basically free. So yeah, I, I, I really like, uh, I really like fields. I'm as I'm getting more into managed season, I'm warming to the idea of Phil fields a little bit. I yeah. struggle with him in best ball in the sense that like I'm looking in these tournaments for these like weekly massive ceilings and fields. It's like weird to say because he's this young Russian quarterback but he almost feels more like a floor play to me in the sense that his rushing is like a really, really high floor building exercise, to be honest. But, and his ceiling, I think at a season long perspective is pretty high. I'm not quite as convinced how high his ceiling is weekly. If I'm trying to capture in like a best ball tournament, trying to make sure I have the QB one in a given week to win my pool, to win the week. I'm just 
not super sure that the Bears offense is enough of a vehicle to be able to give me that like 35 point spike, that 30 point spike. I remember a lot of the Jalen Hurts performances last year where he was like very, very consistently above 20, not super often putting those massive, massive spikes. And he was like continually living in this QB5 to QB10 zone. To me, that's a little bit more of what Fields' upside case looks like. In a managed scenario, if you're able to get a Jalen Hurts esque season and you're able to get that. Um, coming, you know, it's one of the last quarterbacks drafted. That's just a massive, massive win. And I love that. I've struggled with him a little bit more in best ball formats um, for that reason. But if he certainly does that, he can still pay off as a big value. It is hard for me to get past the offense. I also look at fields like from a market share receiving yard or market share rushing yards perspective in college. It was good. I, I believe he was at 18%. Um, that's solid. It's a rushing quarterback, but it's not quite like in the Lamar Jackson even the Deshaun Watson, even the Trey Lance zone, where I think he's a little bit of a step below where those guys were as a college rushing profile. I don't necessarily think that's because he can't run or something. It's just his proclivity to run wasn't quite as high. So I would struggle to see that like Lamar Jackson level rushing. Up yeah, well, I think he's going to be more in like the, I don't know, like maybe more like a young Russell Wilson rushing upside. Yeah. Well, I, so, I mean, his, his uh, best rushing season wasn't quite Kyler Murray, but it wasn't too far off. Wasn't Trey Lance. And so there is a bit of a projection there where you're just looking at, oh, he had the third best 40-yard dash time ever, the third best speed score ever with only Cam Newton and Michael Vick coming in ahead of him. And so, like like I said, everything hinges on does he run a lot? He didn't run at all in preseason, but that's not too uncommon. Trying to preserve him, things like that. I I like what you said about best ball, though. I, I do think he's a strong ADP beater. So he's still a, a pretty good pick in best ball, but I was telling Thomas before the show, I really lean all in on the various formats where start sit. I'm very much uh, season long upside oriented. And with Konami code quarterbacks, they do have the highest typically weekly ceiling typically. Uh, but really you want that, that high floor and predictability where they're just easy start every single week. But in in and uh, like underdog, I released this massive underdog draft strategy guide, and I gave my top picks. Far and away, my highest owned quarterback is Kyler Murray, and I yeah, think that is a, my highest owned as well in, in underdog. Right, well, so you get it. I, and, and in FFPC, in fact, it's totally by accident. But I currently have 100% Kyler exposure on my three FFPC drafts. <laughs> I I did it the first two intentionally. The second one I didn't. The second one I I forwent Kyler Murray in round seven. I plan to take Lance for a stack at the 809. Lance goes off the board. Kyler is still on the board. I was like, well, I'm yeah. going to take Kyler. <laughs> Yeah, so in underdog tournaments, you really want that 30-plus fantasy point weekly upside for the, the the bonus rounds. And, like, he has arguably the highest weekly ceiling of any quarterback, as, as crazy as that sounds. But that's what we've seen when he's healthy. Yeah, I think if we're going to see the Bears replicate, I mean, anything close to what they did just last year, but even taking a step forward, a lot of that is going to fall on Justin Fields' ability to create time. And a lot of times that ends up correlating directly towards a lot more rushing in the in the field. Like, yeah, they're exactly what Toronto and Dave there is saying. His proclivity to have to get away from some 280-pound defensive end that pushed Tevin Jenkins into the dirt is going to make him have to pick up just a few extra yards just to be able to like continue to make money. Like that, that feels like what needs to be able to happen because Darnell Mooney, I mean, 
Thomas said it. He probably isn't the alpha that I know I want him to be, but I think he's a good wide receiver. And maybe he's not going to be that guy that can get wide open against any cornerback in the league. But I think Justin Fields has that ability to create time where these receivers who, let's be honest, one of the worst receiving cores in the league is going to be able to kind of create that time and allow them to get open downfield. So I, I think if there's any any chance here, I, I think it's going to fall on Justin Fields producing above his ADP. So uh, last thing before uh, uh, we move on from Justin Fields, I'm going to get a my guy from both Jacob and Billy and then Scott. If you want to share one more tidbit from the article, it's it's all up to you and we can – move on afterwards i just want to mention after we talked about justin fields there's a player i went looking at for a comp especially at their adp and tyrod taylor kind of rings uh even if you look at tyrod taylor's let's say 2015 season where he had 14 games played and he was the qb7 in points per game he still only rushed for 568 yards he barely threw for 3,000 yards and he only hit 20 passing touch i think that's a very very doable season for uh, Justin Fields this year. So that uh, that's where I went. But, Billy, I want to get one my guy from you for 2022 uh, before we get to Jacobs. Yeah, I wanted to go a little bit deeper here. Um, there's a lot of wide receivers that I absolutely love that I would gladly hitch my wagon to. I mean, Pittman, Hollywood, all those guys would oh, love Pittman, to be right. able to – jump onto uh lazard as well i think i'm coming around on him potentially producing well for the packers jacob doesn't like it jacob doesn't like it she's turning colors i'm 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 tying is being bent it's all good yeah so (laughs) i i jumped i jumped down a little bit deeper here a wide receiver i took the rookie i'm taking george pickens as my guy this year i i think there is a legitimate chance he's out targeting chase claypool this year and I, I think he's the wide receiver too in this offense. That's only going to get better. Like they, they signed Deontay. They need this wide receiving core to stay kind of cheaper if they're going to continue to shell out contracts to these other big players they have on their team. I think the team is ready to build around having George Pickens as the wide receiver too. And I think they're going to establish that this year with him kind of showing out a little bit in camp, playing well in preseason games and hopefully doing just as well once the regular season starts. No, I vibe with that. I vibe with that, especially at cost, right? Like he's, he's still one of the cheaper first round uh, rookies that you can draft. And now with Pierce going absolutely astronomical, uh, he's, he's going to oh, yeah. the second rounds. Like it's, we, it's kind of insane. Real quick. I do want to talk about that draft I had. Uh, this week where um, the draft went. So 101 to 106, I drafted at 106. Brees Hall, Ken Walker, Damian Pierce, James Cook, Chris Olave, Drake London. So that's insanity. Uh, so, some hype trains are getting a little bit out of, out of control here. Our home league, we had a guy trade up to the 103 and drafted Pierce. Like he that was, it, that I was there for that. I watched oof, it happen. Absolutely yeah. lunacy. Jacob, you're my guy for 2022. You're hell bent on, and it can't be Keontae Ingram. No, but I'm very happy that he's employed by an NFL franchise. Go get it, buddy. <laughs> um, my, my guy in managed leagues in particular uh, this year is Rashad White, um, and that's 
Tampa Bay Buccaneers backfield. I'm also in on Leonard Fournette, to be clear. I've seen like a lot of people that are out on Fournette and in on White, or they're in on Fournette and they're kind of bashing White. I'm in on a backfield that had 27.7 expected fantasy points per game last year in PPR. People talk about Tony Pollard, and I mean, I would be first among them to cite him as the highest upside um, backup running back in the game. Dallas had uh, over 23 expected fantasy points per game last year. That's awesome. Tampa Bay crushed that by essentially a passing touchdown with up near 28 expected fantasy points per game. They were by a solid margin, the number one team in high value touches that's receiving and then touches inside the 10 yard line to running back position. And there's even more uncertainty than there was last year, certainly with the receiving core with uh, Russell Gage battling an injury, Julio Jones battling seniority, uh, Chris Godwin battling his way back from an injury. Uh, and so I think there's going to continue to be a, a ton of fantasy points in this backfield. Rashad White has seemingly already worked his way even or ahead of Keyshawn Vaughn, who's been a disappointment so far in Tampa Bay, and had the exact profile we want to see for a fantasy valuable running back coming out of college. He has the size. He had an 18% target share in his final year in college. That's absolutely phenomenal. And he comes into this super fantasy-friendly gold mine, particularly for receiving backs, I think even early in the season with Leonard Fournette capturing the high-value touches that we want, why I think he's an absolute smash at the 2-3 turn, White's potentially going to be working in between the 20s. He's still going to be seeing receiving work of his own. And if Leonard Fournette was to go down with injury, which would not at all be surprising for a running back who's faced several injuries and he's 27 years old, um, I truly think that Rashad White could contend to be a top-five running back for however long Leonard Fournette is out if he's able to control goal line touches and the passing down situations, which I think is at least quite possible based on his profile. So if I'm in a managed league, especially where I don't have to worry about drafting point accumulators in round eight and round nine, where guys like a Robert Woods or a Tyler Lockett or a running back a Damian Harris or a Rashad Penny, where I'm not that worried about what my week one lineup looks like because I've already drafted those positions where I can get guys later. I would much rather forego those week one starter RB2s to grab Rashad White in round eight or round nine in a managed format and then take on guys later like a Naheem Hines or a Michael Carter who can fill that RB2 role if that's what I need in my build. But I want to make sure that I have that upside of White because you're going to have a lot harder time finding that, I think, later in the draft given the prospect profile he is and given the offense. Can I comment on both of these? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Please, please. Brought you on the show for that. Are you are you uh, reading off something, Jacob? Not. No, <laughs> you. That was very. Uh, it was very crispy. That was, forego, <laughs> content, contend. That was very uh, nice. Nice word choice. I, A lot of I wish I was. <laughs> I wish I sounded as smart as on podcasts as I did in articles. Yeah. So um, I love Rashad White. That was really one of my guys in the pre-draft process, and I've been saying if. Uh, the Buccaneers didn't draft Rashad White, who they loved. They thought was the best player available by far. I thought the same. If they'd never drafted him, I would have. I'd be taking Leonard Fournette top five right now. Yeah, because the, the value of that role is so immense. Over his last four games, thirty point three fantasy points per game. Last six games, twenty five point three. Last eleven, twenty two point two. Last eighteen games, twenty fantasy points per game. So that's somewhere in between. Last season, Austin Eckler, 2019, Christian McCaffrey, just a mate like, and the target volume just right on par with Christian McCaffrey. Uh, but here's, here's a sources thing. Uh, they want Rashad White heavily involved somewhere around the halfway point. They want, you know, maybe 10 touches per game, something similar to Tony Pollard when, when Zeke is fully okay. healthy. 
And, uh, and yeah, the upside is, is massive, massive. Uh, I really worry about that offensive line in Tampa. I think you're going to see Tom Brady check it down like he did with, with James White back in the day. And, and like, like I said, I, I love this kid's talent. I think he's awesome. And, and so does Tampa Bay. Um, George Pickens, the other one. Yeah, I would bet $100,000 he's going to outscore Chase Claypool. I was honestly surprised Chase Claypool didn't get traded. Um, yeah. I think he's immediately the clear wide receiver too. But here's where I'm going to throw it back to you guys. The, I, have, I have George Pickens as a must draft. Uh, but my only question is, and Deontay Johnson has long been one of my guys. He just gets open. That's all he does. Great. He either gets open or he gets hurt or he <laughs> scores, you know, 12 plus fantasy points and everything. Gets open, gets hurt or gets benched for dropping the ball. <laughs> the three well, one, one, one time. I, I love Deontay Johnson. I'm not fighting with you. I he got benched him. one time. He got hurt five times. That's and then true. every other time he saw double digit targets. <laughs> and so, and so the narrative on him is just, listen, this was big Ben's guy. So now yeah. we don't know what is going to happen, but like, I see it a different way. I see it like, Hey, Ben Roethlisberger was far and away the worst quarterback on football on par with Zach Wilson last year. Yes. There's a chance that he's just the new Devontae Adams. Like that's sacrilege, but something along those lines. I agree. Where get him competent quarterback play and he just explodes. He takes the league by storm. And so, like, I don't know the answer to this question. I, I think George Pickens, you know, Greg Cassell was telling me all offseason this is the best wide receiver in the class. He's going to fall due to off the field concerns, but this is. This is AJ Green 2.0. And no. so my question to you is, is where are you guys at on Deontay as a talent? I'm way in on Deontay for sure. Uh, I mean, I just think he's an elite receiver in the National Football League who isn't priced like it. Um, right. I mean, it's not just the stats. Like, it's one thing to say he's a great fantasy guy, but we have ways that we can measure, at least to some extent, and draw inferences whether someone is only fantasy friendly and they're getting fed, like, fraudulent volume or whatever. Like, I mean, every single route in the tree that Matt Harmon has charted, he like lights up like a Christmas tree in green. So I don't have a, any particular concerns about like Deontay Johnson's ability to run the full route tree. I think that he was by far their best wide receiver. And then they had a quarterback who could only throw freaking slants and curls. It's the same argument that I was making for Michael Thomas before his like injury submarine his entire career but like when you have an aging quarterback who can only throw short areas you're probably going to scheme your best wide receiver to run a lot of those routes so that they can function in the offense but we have not seen evidence that Deontay can't be effective deep I mean he was an effective target earner all the way throughout college and, and he was doing that on a more higher ADOT role than he's been used out of the NFL so I think Deontay is just a stud I don't really want to let a rookie who I think is probably really good like detract me from drafting someone who I just think is a stud superstar wide receiver in the NFL. So I'm still drafting Deontay Johnson. Uh, I'm probably not drafting yeah. as much Pickens as, as you guys are, but I'm certainly open-minded to him. Um, but I, I just don't want anything to get in the way of me drafting Deontay Johnson at like what a really affordable cost. Like he's going yeah. at like the late four, early five. The, the narrative, the narrative is that, Oh, he, he just got by on volume and he's like a volume, but like, yeah, that's receiver. With the wide receiver. <laughs> yeah, tar yeah, targets are earned. They're indicative of a surplus of talent. And and so, like, I keep trying to go the with that narrative. It's just like, no, I think he's just in really sick at football. The Steelers for fantasy feel like, like an iceberg. Like, we can look up here and kind of get surface-level information. And then, like, the more narratives you add on, the more, like, 
arcing <laughs> branches that come out. Um, Deontay Johnson, to me, feels a lot like the inverse Najee Harris. Whereas, like, Najee, I think he is completely predicated on volume. He had so many opportunities this last year. 300 rush attempts, 90 targets, all, all this opportunity and just inefficiency was not good. Or, I guess, efficiency was not good. Um, double negative there. And I think we're kind of running into this situation where as that goes down, I don't think Najee is going to become more efficient to offset that loss in volume, which is why I've been saying all offseason, I think we saw Najee's ceiling last year. And Deontay, I think, is the exact opposite. I think he may see a drop in targets. He may see something similar to that. But, I mean, the last couple of years, he's, I mean, he's hitting seven, eight touchdowns, but – I mean, he's still, with all these targets, barely breaking over 1,000 yards. I mean, this last year he hit 1,150. But, like, I, I think there is so much opportunity here for him to break into that upper echelon of yardage guys, like push into that 13, 1,400. Be one of those guys that are pushing for double-digit touchdowns because he's just that good. He's so good at catching separation. And now with a, a quarterback that is able to actually rocket the ball, unlike, <laughs> unlike Ben, who had to throw ducks five yards away from the line. <laughs> like it, it hurt to watch. If we have a if we have a a quarterback that can put some miles per hour on the ball, like De- Deontay has every opportunity to take that like elite next step, which feels crazy because in 2020 it felt like we said the same thing. We're like, and, and he did. He jumped up to a top eight wide receiver, mm-hmm. but it feels like he has that like still that next gear in his ceiling. I think there's a lot of good coming for Deontay, and this is why I said all off season. The quarterback that goes to Pittsburgh is going to be my guy for the foreseeable future. I don't care if it was Pickett, if it was Ritter, if it was Willis. I mean, look at the situation now. But, like, I I am so excited for Kenny Pickett because there's so much pass-catching talent on this team. Not even to mention Calvin Austin. I don't think we need to mention Calvin Austin. (laughs) Yeah, we're we're good. I, my... I, I said that just to see like a little bit more of the whites of Jacob's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I firmly have Deontay Johnson as a top twelve receiver in pretty much every every format you could possibly have. I love yeah. him. Uh, I I've joined I've joined the 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 group. I was outside. I was a hater, but I've turned it around. I've I, I've turned around. And look real quick before we move on. I will say uh, I have mentioned this on the fantasy walkabout, which is on Saturdays at the full tail dynasty podcast network. Uh, Michael Pittman is my guy for 2022. Uh, I yeah. think what you expected from Calvin Ridley, you can expect from Michael Pittman. Uh, that's why you can at me about it and love to have a great conversation about it, but uh, not here and not now. Look, um, we have a question here. That's before. Cheating. No, I know it is. Oh, but that's Christian my, McCaffrey is my guy this well, year. Well, that's why I push yeah, all the buttons. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, I am I am the commander-in-chief here, and we are in a time crunch. I can blame it on that. I, I have a question that I want to get to from Danny um, that he had put here. He said it was a little off-topic, but I feel bad we, we haven't gotten to it yet. Here's a question. This is for Jacob. Hey, I know this oh. is an off-topic question for Jacob. Oh, there you go. About stacking. I love his Robert Frost oh, analogy God. about stacking. Being brought up on the show. Let's go. What's, what's about, the Robert Frost analogy? 
Well, so I, I did a, I did an article on, on this here. Um, can I finish the question so I can pull it down? Yes. Okay. I love his Robert Frost analogy about stacking uh, is about lowering the correct assumptions you need to make, but then what are the downsides of stacking and does stacking not increase upside at all? Question mark. I'm just trying to fully understand this concept. Thank you. Is this yeah, a basketball so, thing? Uh, yes, but like I would apply it to any sort of managed tournament, really. Uh, I don't care about as much in, in like a standard first, league, but First, what was the reference? Yeah, so basically this came from my piece or from my series last year that I did on differences between best ball tournaments and DFS tournaments and lessons that we can apply from DFS tournaments to best ball and as sort of others that we should modify. And I recently cited this uh, in my last uh, best ball strategy guide. So I'm happy to, that we have a reader, but um, yeah, I essentially, I, I use this analogy of, I forget the details to be entirely honest, but essentially there is two paths that you can go by, uh, hence the Robert Frost. And essentially in one scenario, there's, a set of lights that's random. There's four sets of lights and each one is random. And you arrive at one set of lights. You don't know necessarily if it's going to be red or green. And then you keep going to the next set of lights. And then the other side, uh, whatever you end up on at the first, either it's going to be red or it's going to be green. That's what each of the lights thereafter is also going to be when you arrive at the light. So there, you have the correlative set of lights and the uncorrelated set of lights. And essentially I went through this of like, okay, if you have X amount of time to get to the destination, which would you choose? And if you have X amount of time, you get to the next destination, which would you choose? And essentially what I was pointing out was that the best path to choose for the lowest amount of time, if that's what you're focusing on, would be the correlated set of lights, because it's the only option that you have where all of the light switches can be green every single time that you get there. And so you're able to fly through the path and you're able to get there in the fastest amount of time. And so often I think when people talk about stacking, they talk about it as, oh, it creates a higher ceiling. I don't necessarily think that it creates a higher ceiling. What it does is it, it reduces the number of correct assumptions that you have to make to reach a ceiling. Because if I you like draft that. Patrick Mahomes and you draft Tyreek Hill, instead of having to be independently right twice, you're more likely to be right on both by making sort of one play yeah. on one offense. And so I think in seasonal like it really depends. Um, and I, I think the, the question was, are there downsides and does it limit upside or does it create more upside? And, and I guess what I would say is in like a tournament format, the downsides don't matter because like what matters is the outcome in which you win. So the downside is that it might make your sixth place roster a ninth place roster. But then all that does is like you then have a roster that wouldn't have advanced and now it's a roster that misses advancing by more. So that doesn't actually really matter. Right. Because the same way it reduces the number of assumptions that you have to make in a negative direction. But you're optimizing for a top end um, outcome, not a bottom or not a middle outcome. And then the last point I would make in terms of does it increase your upside? Again, I like functionally, yes, it's a ceiling strategy. It doesn't actually, it doesn't make your upside higher. It's just like you, it's just that would you be more likely to make nine bets individually correct or make three bets individually correct? Right. It's a lot easier to make three bets individually correct. So yeah. yes, your ceiling is technically the same, but it's just a lot easier to get there when you're stacking. I think in seasonal leagues, stacking to me makes the most sense on teams that the market might be undervaluing. So like stacking the Chiefs is fine. You get some extra weekly upside out of that. Um, but everybody's already pricing into the Chiefs that they're going to be good. 
Uh, you know, the Bills, if you draft Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen, like it's fully priced in that they're going to be really good. So you're not getting a ton of extra season-long benefit there. But I would consider stacking like offenses that the market thinks are crappy in seasonal leagues because that's where you can actually compound the benefit of a positive assumption. So like if you're like Scott and you're on Justin Fields, you know, by all means, add in a Cole Komet or a Darnell Mooney. If you, if you believe in Trevor Lawrence and you want to stack him with Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram, like when you're going at these more ambiguous offenses, that's where you can compound a bet and be right uh, on multiple players. I don't think as much with the top teams that you're getting a season-long benefit as much as it's a weekly benefit. I mean, I wish we had underdog draft results in 2018. Like, yeah, did, didn't every single, like, top 100 team have Mahomes, Tyreek, Kelsey, Kareem Hunt? Yeah. It seems conceivable to me. And then, like, when you talk week 17, I always, like, come back to that one game where the Giants played the Saints in, like, 2015, and it went to overtime. And 10 of the top 15 highest scorers from that week were all in that game where that just, like, yeah. absolutely destroys everyone else. Yeah. yeah. No, I if love it. wants more info on stacking and stuff, um, the cute Hertz, who's in the chat, uh, Lucas, he did a ton of data polling from the 2021 season, and I um, – put a lot of that into my last uh, piece that you can find it's pinned for me on Twitter. We talked about specific stacks of like how often were top six quarterbacks creating wide receiver ones in the same week. How often was the QB one? Um, how often were there two teammates in an optimal lineup in the same week? How often were two teammates and a player from the opposing team in an optimal lineup in the same week? Um, all that stuff uh, we went through in the latest article. Absolutely yeah. love our team. Love that work by Lucas. Our team is, is phenomenal. Billy, um, before we move on. It- yeah, real quick. There's a reason when you go into like the sleeper squads, I don't know how many people actually use sleeper squads, but it's it's pretty much a parlay system that sleeper offers. Uh, there's a reason why picking players from the same like game offers you less money than picking multiple players from yeah. various different games because it reduces the amount of things you have to be correct about. Like, as Jacob was saying, if you think the Bears are going to be good, then a Justin Fields Darnell Mooney stack is probably better than a Justin Fields and Elijah Moore stack. Right. Like, it's like it's like picking a lock, you know, it, it yeah. just gives you more outs where it's yeah. like in DFS in a given week, you're like, I think the Patriots steamroll the Jaguars. And I think uh, the highest scoring game of the week is Minnesota green Bay. You just stack up all those receivers. You play Damian Harris and Patriots defense. And now you only have to get, you know, five things right or four things right instead of nine things. Right. Right. Uh, I, I love that. We have a couple more questions. We'll get to that quick. When we come back, look, Scott, the last time you were here, the wide receiver, the rookie wide receiver discussion, uh, went long uh, as they say in tv and radio and we absolutely loved it uh when you had reached out to me you had mentioned you you came up a little bit on sky more and i thought it was a little bit higher you you, you kind of had me in the first half in that conversation so i can't wait to get that down with you look we're gonna take a quick second when we come back we're getting into that we're gonna answer your questions right here keep it locked in full tilt thanks for joining us sit tight <laughs> Okay. Yeah, you used a shorter commercial. Yes, I did. I hit the wrong button. That's okay. Uh, that happens from time to time. 
Uh, it's not always it's not always perfect and smooth, but the out the 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 cutout there prior to that perfect. Uh, look, Lucas wants to know Deontay or Pittman. Uh, I'm Deontay. Does uh, who who's up what? for everyone else? I'll take Pittman. You're not Deontay. Deontay over Michael Pittman Jr. I will yeah. take Michael Pittman Jr. Yeah, I'm. I am assuming this is a dynasty take. In which case, I will take, take Deontay and, Johnson. I will take Pittman in either. But I, I thought Pittman was your guy. I, I'd take Pittman. Right. I love so Deontay. look, my dynasty brain wants Deontay, but for this year, my my guy that I'm going hard on is Michael Pittman. Okay, I'll put this to you though. Come if on. A player is if one player is younger and you think they're going to do better this year, why would you not want that player in dynasty? I'll take Pittman. Too. Price. Yeah, but I mean, if if Pittman outscores Deontay, uh, De- Deontay is going to be cheaper next year. I mean, if people want to get irrational, sure. Uh, I, I I want Deontay and Dynasty, but I want Pittman. Like that's my dude this year. I want Pittman in both formats because I yeah, want no, Pittman yeah, in the draft. He's younger than Deontay. If he outscores Deontay, then he'll be worth more in Dynasty. I I I find that interesting from you, honestly. Scott, Scott was saying, "What if Deontay?" is the next like Devonte adams uh, Pittman feels like he has that same opportunity coming in with matt ryan and he's two years younger P- Pittman has had at least one fantasy wide receiver one in every year of his career except for last year Pittman's gonna go out so i i keep coming back to this i always watch post-draft pressers and i watched a po- uh, an interview with uh the area scout who who scouted Pittman. he was like bruh, I was at every single practice, every single practice, and I never saw Pittman lose a single rep against a cornerback. Like, he was so shook, and he was just like, this guy is a freak. I, yeah, I, I love Pittman, love the opportunity, et cetera. Give me one second. Never lost yeah. a rep. Come on. Never <laughs> lost a rep. It's been quoted that he does have that dog in him. Uh, we have another one, uh, Evan Ingram or Albert O. I think this one's more uh, directed at Jacob. These are both of your guys. Yeah, I would prefer I prefer Ingram in a tight end premium managed. I would prefer Albert O in best ball. Oh. <laughs> he had to get the best ball. Anyone have any other varying well, opinions? I, I never know what format these questions are. Give, give I know Lucas, Lucas Even doesn't though he, he buzzed his head, he feels less like like he – I don't know. That felt like a cut. That was like Sky Moore becoming 24 for his Oh, number. my goodness. Yeah, 100%. All right, look. Uh, rookie rankings. It is the end of summer. It, we are rolling into the fall. This is it. We've seen what we've needed to see from rookies in the NFL at this point. This is your final, final opportunities to plant flags and get it moving before everything kicks off because we all know – in the first couple of weeks, we'll know who was right and who was a donkey, right? It's, that's all it takes for rookies. You get a couple weeks, so this is your chance. This is after the preseason. Scott, I want to ask your biggest mover of the rookies so far, who, who, you, who do you got? The biggest mover you can think of. I don't. I don't know. I I nailed everything perfect on this show. And in my articles, <laughs> I had I had projected I perfectly in line with draft capital. Like the only guys I missed on was I was too high on Sky Moore, who was what the 14th so wide receiver. So this is the same drafted. debate. Like, who cares? Why did, Why does it matter that you like are in line with draft capital if the players suck? I, I mean, I I just nailed it perfect. Is that not the most predictive metric? Is Is it not draft capital and and 
every, everything was perfect. It was just perfectly in line. I mean, I can like read about, I'm, I'm good at predicting how they're going to be drafted. I would just never rank them that way. I mean, that's not, that's not why I went into it ranking, but I'm, I'm just saying I like it's settled. We don't have to see them play their careers because, right. Because I hit draft. Tyquan Thor- Thor- Are you getting Tyquan Thornton's Hall of Fame jacket ready? No, that's oh, oh <laughs> hell yeah, hell yeah. Fastest wide receiver ever, but unusually thin wrists, so he goes day three. That was the whole Tyquan. Apparently, Thornton thin game. collarbones. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I want to, I want to rehash the Sky Moore debate because uh, again, like I, I was higher on him than the NFL apparently was, uh, but I did think I was, I was wrong on uh on a like i he was one spot above alec pierce i think that was dumb even though he went behind him i had christian watson ahead you know like looking back on it i really think i did just like nitpick him because he had a bunch of elijah moore comps and that's my guy forever so i just like refused to like i just nitpicked him to death but like the whole debate between me and jacob centered around i felt like early declare status, which I I don't know that I did a good job of expressing on the last show, but I just view that as a proxy for draft capital. Guys only declare if they're likely to get day two draft capital. And then you're going to miss on Devonta Smith, Chris Olave, who had round round two grades, but he stayed in school that extra year. And then beyond that, it's it's saying avoid one-year wonders because the NFL stupidly loves those guys, but they always miss on one-year wonders. And so like your, I felt like your whole argument centered around uh, early declare status, which is a proxy of draft capital, but now we got draft capital and it was bad, but. Uh, well, I don't think it was bad at all. He went around two. I mean, it was That's round, it was round two, but he went at, he went after 12 guys. He went after Wandale Robinson, Tyquan Thornton, Alec Pierce, Christian yeah, well behind like, Christian so Watson. Like in the slightest and Kansas city traded down. They like the, the risk losing him. But no, I, so I think I, he's good. personally I think he's like good. I don't. I just don't really care the order that they go in. To be all, all that honest, like I, I that's haven't a legit ever debate. Much. So like, it's sort of the thing where like, I I know inherently that it should probably matter what order they go in, but whenever I've seen, now I haven't dug into a lot of myself, but I've seen other people that have produced some of this, and it doesn't seem like it actually has that much of a bearing between where folks go once you actually isolate for the other stuff in a production profile. And like, I guess this guy, I mean, he got round two draft capital. He has all the other things that, that we were looking for. He has early production. He's an early declare. He went round two draft capital. I, I totally don't agree with the early declare being a proxy for draft capital. I, I think it's a separate measure where otherwise, like if otherwise, if we just took away early declare status, it wouldn't have any additional signal beyond draft capital, but it, it definitely does have a lot of signal beyond draft capital. John, that is, is wrong. The data would say that, that is wrong. Early declare wide receiver prospects just do better um, than, than senior declare prospects. And it's not a, a matter lot of better. Like, but it, it's not a matter yeah, of right, like, because it's it's a proxy for draft capital no, and one year wonders no, are, are stupid. Yeah. But it's not just a proxy for draft capital. Like you can to some okay, extent, com- I'm a contrast it, contrast it to wide receivers who had round two grades but stayed an extra year versus early declares who had a round two grade, it's the, it, they're going to be the same player every single time. But it, okay. So we can like kind of go back and like retrofit and guess. Who Cause otherwise it's grades, just the one year wonders, but, but the one year wonders. No, sucks. it's not That's just one year wonders. No, it's not just the one year wonders. 
the senior declare he had a day first three round. grade. No, of course he stays Scott. in school. No, stop spreading fake news. Senior <laughs> declare round one players who it produced early fucking suck. They all suck. Your like, bread is a tomato right now. Yeah, because you're <laughs> interrupting me while I'm trying to make a point. The like the data on early de- on non-early declare senior <clears throat> wide receivers drafted in round one, regardless of production profile, is incredibly damning. Like maybe Devonta Smith and Brandon Ayuk and uh, Chris Olave are going to usher in a new age of success stories, but it hasn't been successful. Like yes, some of these wide receivers who get drafted, especially in round two and round three that are these seniors who never did shit until their last year. You know, those guys are drawing totally dead. But it's not just that. Even if we isolate for breakout year, and if we isolate for – yeah, John, that's bad faith. If we, once we isolate for breakout year, once we isolate for draft capital, early declares still outperform senior declares. Like, they do. It's, it's, and so I don't think that we can just throw it out as a proxy for other things. I would also rather have early declares who produce. I don't like early declares who don't produce. They also suck. Like I don't love Henry Ruggs just because he was an early declare, um, but it's one piece of the puzzle. And on net, early declares, even after solving for draft capital, even after solving for breakout year, they do perform better in the NFL. And in particular, when we look at small school guys, which is a lot of the case for Sky Moore, why do small school guys perform worse? because small school guys don't declare early very often. And so they aren't very good prospects. These are often we're getting these one year wonder late production players, or even we've gotten some players that produce early and it's been more hit and miss. So a lot of times when we punish guys for small school, what we're really doing is punishing them um, for not declaring early. And Sky Moore to me doesn't fall into that bucket. He's in a really small bucket with Cortland Sutton and Deontay Johnson and Devontae Adams. All right. So I, again, I think it's like a descriptive stat that can be explained by other things. And once you account for that, it's, it's less impressive, but I'll give you this. Uh, I was talking to a source who is a very recognizable name uh, who told me he talked to five wide receiver coaches in the NFL and all of them said the same thing. I want my team to draft Sky Moore. That's my guy in this year's class. They're smart. They get it. Just just yeah. dropping like the independent prime source material here on the pod. We appreciate that. You're gonna I, what's the I, chance I, we we can get the, the source outed here? Like that would that would be that'd be <laughs> big Dude, plot source breaking. life is so insanely difficult. I had the <laughs> best source ever. What was it? Two years ago. Best source ever. Tyler Higby has 100 yards in each of his last four games. I ask a coach on the Rams or through a friend, a coach on the Rams, is he going to be, you know, featured in this offense? And he's like, oh, hell yeah. Tyler Higby is going to break all the records this year. Tyler Higby sucked. He was stuck in a committee <laughs> with Gerald Everett. And it's yeah. like, I had the best source ever. And I just got so insanely burned. burned. So like, Absolutely I, burned. I don't know how Schefter... Schefter does it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Was I lied to? Like, was I think a lot of times what happens is the money. Like, I've been saying this a lot with a lot of the beat report stuff that come out. It's like a lot of it isn't wrong information. It's just that's the correct information at a snapshot in time. And like, I think that a lot of people look back on the season and they look at it as though, like, how did we not always know that it was going to play out? But I bet you the players and coaches didn't always know that was going to play out. Like, if a beat reporter says something is a plan in July, that probably is the plan in July. That doesn't mean it's the plan in week one. It doesn't mean it's the plan in week 10. And I just think a lot of times, like, plans change. Players come in, they play better, they play worse. Um, 
Miles is asking this is a Garrett Wilson versus Olave discussion. I think that actually the like early declare thing is a super interesting note on on Wilson versus Olave because oh. we talked about the idea of like all this ways that we're isolating it, right? Because a lot of it does like double up where, you know, we're looking at what don't we want? We don't want players who don't produce early. Well, players who don't produce early often are late declares. And so those players are bad. We don't want them. And it's not that we just don't want them because they're late declares. We also don't want them because they don't produce early. I think the Wilson versus Olave thing is fascinating for a couple of reasons, because number one, we have like a really nice sort of sample where we can measure them directly against each other. Cause they played on the same team, right? We never usually have something that's ever that neat and tidy where we actually have to see them play against each other. And then you have this interesting thing where they're the same age, but one of them was a different year. Um, and so one was the early declare, one was the senior, but they were both the same age. I think it's a really fascinating one. Um, and I think it's interesting how looking at the same profile, the same people in the same thing, whatever people wait more, whether they wait breakout year more or breakout age more, or if they wait early declare, or they don't really wait early declare, um, you know, depending on what stats they wait more, where people land on this one. I mean, for me, I prefer Wilson, of course, based on, you know, what I've been saying um where i'm focusing more on breakout year i'm focusing on the early declare status not exclusively like john's saying only caring about early declares. i certainly don't only care about early declares i don't just like toss them off into a ship if they don't declare early but i prefer them um and and i think with wilson versus alave it's interesting like i prefer i prefer alave right now to jameson williams from a profile perspective because i would rather have the guy who produced more, even though it was, uh, even though he was the late declarer, he still produced more early than Jamison Williams did. Um, but Wilson, where I think the production profile is a lot more similar, I would rather have Wilson than Olave. I, so I I agree with that based on early declarers. So I know what Chris Olave's grade was last year, and it was a round two grade. And so Garrett Wilson went in round one. Like I, I think you you have to give him that edge in that instance. We have uh, yeah. another question here, Phil. I I just I'm just enjoying the conversation purely. I got this is fantastic. I have a third and ninth pick in dynasty rookie uh, in their draft. Don't Who should I aim for third. at those spots for a rebuilding team from Depeche? Third is such a crappy spot in this year's dynasty yeah. draft. Depeche mode. Nice. <laughs> he just needs, yeah. he needs his personal Jesus right here, Scott. I, oh God, that oh, is such goodness. a rough place to like pick in this year. Yeah, like I'm I so tough. fortunate to trade out of the third spot, and it's I I think there's like five guys that are yeah. like, acceptable. One hundred three for me, I, it would still. Who, be who do you think goes one hundred one, one hundred two? Then it's Brees Hall, Hall, and, Hall and London. And London, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, For the record, I want to say Walden was there at 103. I would sprint to the podium. I right. want to say I want to take Walker just because I want the running back position for the Seahawks right now. I've been doing this in redraft. I never like stacking the same running back room, but with how much I think like the wide receiver one for the Seahawks is going to be extremely valuable this year. I've been totally fine taking late round picks and taking both Penny and Walker. Yeah. I and think neither Penny or Walker. I, I think the, the <laughs> position for the Seahawks this year, whoever is that role, is going to be so flipping valuable for How fantasy. Come? They're like the worst team in the league. I I don't think that matters, at least in this situation. Like the the wide receiving core in there is so unbelievably strong. 
and they want to run the ball. They want this kind of, they want this Rashad Penny last year situation where they just keep grinding it through. And maybe Penny doesn't hold up to that, but they, they want this offense to run through the running back position, which they've shown every year with them wanting to be this run first offense, despite having three of the best offensive weapons in the league and their passing offense. So I like, agree. They want that. I don't think they're going to be able to do that because I think they're going to get the doors beat off of them every game. And like, I just don't know how you can, I'm sure their rushing rate will be super high in the first quarter, the second quarter. I, I just don't know if you're going to get any running track production out of a backfield where neither of those guys play passing downs. And I get they want to establish the run. I just think if they're – I mean, their over-under is like five and a half on the win total. I'm just not sure they run enough plays and they run enough rushing plays with score effects that you're going to be able to get much there. But um, I, yeah, mean, I wouldn't let that like, ruin my dynasty so, take. I would take so, Wilson or Burks, but I'm fine with Walker too. Yeah, I, I'm hedging against that. I just think that offense is going to give so much to the running back position. Whoever has that – I think it's going to be valuable. I, I think you could pretty easily find an RB needy team to trade down with. And I think that's probably just. The, yeah. 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 Uh, that's the best option. If you're looking at nine, uh, my favorite pick in that spot is actually sky Moore. That's my favorite one at one. Nine. That nine. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the ideal pick uh, for me at that spot at one Oh three. It's dirty, bro. I mean, close your eyes and take your favorite of, Four four people. Yeah. Like I'll it's... say this to you at the 103. Like we had our draft that Tom and I were both in our home league draft, and I originally had Love the 103. It. I was able to trade out of the 103, and I was able to get the same guy at 107. I was going to take at 103, um, and that, that being Traylon Burks. Oh, you're a Traylon Burks guy. I like production. Yes. Uh, you like fraudulent production? Oh my! I don't believe, like, I don't believe like in the idea of fraudulent production. Uh, oh I think Lavisco is a strong prospect. Oh no. Profile. Like I'm more than happy to bet on LaVisca profile 2.0. I would happily do that again. Uh, I would take Sky over James Cook. I have like no interest in James Cook. Interesting. Would you, would you take Traylon over Sky? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oof. I would take Traylon. Scott, we're going to have the... to have an episode three. Like we're going to have to have okay, Boone so Rally where, three. So where, where are you at here? Preseason. Where are you <laughs> yeah. at on these rookie receivers? It's, for me, it's London is one. And he's yeah. to me, he's like in a clear little one person tier. And then I have Wilson and Burks kind of like tied. Oof. I slightly prefer Wilson. Um, and then and then I would go – then my next tier would be Sky, Olave, and Jamison and Pickens, and probably in that order. All right. So I, I really don't hate Traylon Burks. I, I had him – You hate him. Per- you hate him personally. He personally offends you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had him pre-draft as my wide receiver five. Um but I said all throughout my analysis pre-draft, listen, this is a very highly volatile wide receiver, very fraudulent production profile, very risky. He's not going to do much year one. Uh, he's going to be slow to develop. He's going to be very landing spot and scheme dependent. And uh, I think he does. He's a massive disappointment. He's deemed a bust this time next year. And then he, he starts to come into his own, but uh yeah, I mean, it's re- it's really not looking good. Every single day, seemingly, Mike Vrabel has, like, there's, like, a video of him. They're at, he's asked about Traylon Burks, and he's like, uh, yeah, you know, Burks needs to get on, stay on the field. He needs to study. Also, the post-draft press conference was bizarre. So they, they brought him up on stage, which I've never seen before, 
And I, mm. I felt like they were just using him as a human shield uh, <laughs> because they just traded away AJ yeah. Brown. And, and he was, was the vibe. he was insanely honest, insanely accountable, insanely forthcoming. I fell in love with him. I thought he was like such a sweetheart where he was like, yeah, I lied to the team in the, the combine interview. I just wasn't myself. I, I wasn't telling the truth. And then luckily they brought me into this, this, uh, into visit with the camp. And, uh, I, I, you know, I really hit it off at them and I, he was, they were like, yeah, he was insanely accountable. And then he showed up to camp day one fat, like an asthmatic and like <laughs> nothing about his, nothing about his preseason has been good at all. He like, he might just be a liar. He might just be like lazy off the field. I, I don't know. Did he still- kills hogs. I mean, he yeah, kills Hobbs. He kills, yeah, but, yeah, but like again, Vrabel hates him. Vrabel's quote was like, oh "Yeah, psh, he now. kills Hogs, but you know, this slot wide receiver we took in in round seven kills kills rabbits with a you know like oh a, my gosh with, with a knife. Uh, like he's just like I he's so quick and fast and like I'll do it. So like the vibe. Lucas, I know, I know, I know Scott's answer to this, but if you can, um, I talk about a little bit about what you meant by how his production is fraudulent. Yeah, so it's a number of things. Like I, when I first uh, dug into my, my my stuff, I was like, "Oh, Traylon Burks has to be the unanimous wide receiver one," and then it's like, "Like, oh wow, he led in yards after the catch per reception." Okay, all of that came on three plays, and like that's the one thing he was drafted for is like, "Oh, that GPS MPH time was sick," and it was sick, but it, like that was what he did well. Also, like I found the tape really problematic. And then it was like another number of things where like all he produced on were, were go routes and screens and like screens are su- super problematic. He like never beat cornerbacks one-on-one in coverage, which you really want to see. And it was just like a million things like that where it's like, okay, I think, I think this guy, like the numbers are crazy and like everything you could point to that matters, like he smashes that. But like, I just found so many holes and flaws that, that it concerned me. I lined it up against, LaVisca Chenault and was so much of the same Ooh. thing. Uh, and so I, I would happily take George Pickens well ahead of him Man, uh, and and a lot of other wide receivers. Jahan Dotson probably. Oh, my God. That's oh, beautiful. my gosh. So this is such a Burks. Like, I, I've generally been, like, pretty, like, Switzerland on Burks because there's, like, a lot of people on Twitter who ardently, it's like, Burks is the wide receiver one, Burks is the wide receiver one, and I'm not there. He's been my wide receiver three, although, like, I am just a razor edge behind behind Garrett Wilson. Um, but, yeah, when I hear stuff like Pickens and Dawson, that's a bridge too far. Like, the same reasons that you are mentioning are why he's not my wide receiver one, because just purely on production, like, purely if I had never watched him play, if I only looked at the sheet, he would be the wide receiver one in the class for me. Um, his production profile is the best, but I do have those concerns, but like, can he play um, wide receiver in the NFL? And I guess where I draw the line is that I look at London and I look at Wilson as the ones who have at least a comparable production profile. And for me, I look at them and I'm like, all right, I'm going to break ties towards the guys who played wide receiver in a more traditional way. Um, Although I just can't take guys like Pickens who had like one year of production. Great. There was an early year of production. So that's awesome. But it has a way more limited production profile. Dawson, who was a late breakout, late declare. I can't take those guys over Burks. It, it's it's just I can't do it. I, I think it would just invalidate a lot of a lot of the predictiveness of production profiles, which isn't everything, but it's still a lot for me. It carries a lot of weight. Well, the weird thing for for Burks was like like I said, like just by box score stats, I don't know how he wasn't the unanimous wide receiver one by any model, 
my model didn't love him. My model had him wide receiver five, which like, I still don't even know why that happened. And then like everything else I pointed to, like makes me really, so he is wide receiver one, but wide receiver five. And then I, all, everything I just talked about wasn't factored in. Like that's legitimately scary to me. Jahan Dotson was my wide receiver seven. The model really didn't love him for a number of reasons. Right. And, but I, I started warming to him late in the process. Cause my guy, Wes Huber, who's like a, like one of the best film guys in the game. He was like, I'm on Ross St. Brown should be around one pick. He's amazing. Like every single time he's had a take on a wide receiver the past three years, it couldn't have been more perfect. And he was saying, Jahan Dotson, the thing with him is the quarterback play was like the worst I've ever seen. And so like I dug into the, I might've actually, I might've bumped him up from like wide receiver eight to wide receiver seven, but like digging into the numbers. So he was identical to uh, Chris Olave in separation rate. They were both top five. Uh, The difference was uh, like only 33% of his targets were, were deemed catchable by PFF versus oh Olave's were like 80%. Yeah. And there was only like a 7% difference in yards per target. And so the crazy thing with that is uh, Ron Rivera basically said the exact same thing in the post-draft press conference where he was like, listen, I don't want to trash this quarterback they got there. I'm not that kind of guy. I don't want to. And the, But he was like, he had a deep sigh. He was like, <sighs> listen, this kid was terrible. <laughs> but, Dotson, but Dotson was still awesome. And so like I have competition score and that like factors into my rankings. But like that, that really made a massive difference to the profile. And then like you look at Washington and it's like, well, Carson Wentz isn't good. Like Carson Wentz sucks. And every beat writer is saying, Oh, Wentz has an unreal rapport with D- Jahan Dotson. That's his favorite target, and uh, so I don't, I don't know what to do with him. He's must draft for me in redraft. I think he like. Yeah, I agree with that. He's my most drafted dynasty. player in all of best ball. Now Dot- a lot of that, granted. Yes, you know, like, dude, I love we're locked up on that. A lot of that is pre-draft because Dotson was going in like round eighteen when these tournaments first. Yes. Won. And yet he was his over under on the draft was thirty two point five. So he's basically a coin flip to be drafted round one. Um. And, and I was, I was like, I was like, man, I don't particularly love this profile, but it's not bad. Like it wasn't like a profile. I was like, it's bad. I was like, it's just kind of, eh. Um, but I was like, if he's going to go around one, like he's going to be drafted a lot higher than this. So I had like 50% of him, I think in the big board. And then he's still my highest drafted overall because the market's never caught up. And he's one of the few rookie wide receivers that we can say for sure is starting full-time role, two wide receiver sets day one. So I'm really in on him in redraft. He's a must draft for me in FFPC, a must draft for me in best ball. And in Dynasty, I didn't think I'd have a lot. I actually have a lot because his price is like really low. And I was able to draft him a decent amount, like the 2-1, the 2-2. Um, and he's my 110. So I, I'd be, I'm more than happy to draft him at cost. Dotson and Rondale Moore are my two favorite picks to lead the waiver wire, like in fab after week one. Like just, just in terms of that's who everyone's screaming. Like every fantasy podcast is like, you got to go to your waiver wire right now and put in your claims for these two players. I feel like Dotson and Rondell Moore got the same kind of treatment. Like Dotson post-draft, there were so many, and there was a brief time you could get them outside of the first round, 2-1, 2-2, and that's where I got the most exposure that I have to him. I didn't want to touch him when he was hitting that 1-8, 1-9. I, again, I like Burks a little bit more than those guys personally, but I feel like they kind of got the same treatment post-draft. It's very odd. Hey, Jacob, can I ask you, uh, I don't remember if we talked about this last time, but 
but uh, Justin Ross was like must draft for me as like the ideal upside wins championships pick and rookie drafts. And per sources, uh, really good source, uh, Kansas City loves him. They, they're excited about his future. Where did you end up on him? Uh, I didn't have any interest because he wasn't going to get drafted high. Um, so I, I just, like, by all accounts, his draft capital was going to be non-existent, and then it was non-existent. Um, so I, I wasn't drafting him. But I don't, like, I guess that's the different. Like, like my, I don't draft to, to, like, try and predict draft capital anyway. Like, I, I just, I sort of come up with my pre-draft um, ranks. And then once draft capital hits, then I adjust those. I don't, I don't ever try to like make my ranks. I don't have a goal of making my ranks so that I don't adjust them post-draft. I fully intend to adjust them post-draft. Mostly because I want to try and like identify where my stands are. Like I had a higher pre-draft grade on Romeo Dubs than Christian Watson. And so then when they go to the same team. Did I'm you like, really? Yes. Uh, and so then when they go to the same team, I was like, oh, awesome like this is going to be a fantastic leverage play where like i'm going to draft a ton of dubs now to be clear i would not rather have dubs straight up in dynasty over christian watson once the draft capital is based baked in if they had gone in the same round i actually would have but like i prefer dubs production profile to watson's because he produced earlier and he produced it at a better school um but i i would rather have thought of watson and dynasty i prefer dubs at cost um, and obviously, like, we'll see where it goes from here. It's been a nice investment this summer. I've been selling off some Romeo Dubs shares, but I'm keeping some just, just for the fun of it because I'm All pretty right. excited for the ride. Let's I say, took let's both say, in my home league, by the way. I just took both. So we'll let, let's, say, let's say Justin Ross had the same projected draft capital as Sky Moore and all those guys. Where would you uh, have like, put him? Like, not as highly because he just wasn't like, it was so much of it was baked into the freshman year. Uh, yeah. Right. I mean, that, yeah. but that, that's the thing. Like it was like, so kind of as well. Right. So, yeah. So I, I was like, I was lower. I should not like lower than the market at large, I would say, but I was lower than most data focused people on Pickens and Ross both just because I didn't like everybody was really excited about the year one production. And I get that. I'm also excited about that, but I felt like it really plateaued and I, I just have general, I'm a little bit wary of these players who produce to a certain level and then plateau. We've seen this with Brian Edwards, seen this with Jalen Rager. Um, and, I, and I don't love to be all in on those types of guys. I think with Ross, like I just never really considered that he would get that much draft capital because it just seemed that with the medical, he was totally fucked. But I mean, at this point he's free. So like, I would love to just put him on my IR and why not? But. So, so, so I will say that right. the current iteration of my model never lo- do- doesn't like Brian Edwards, like never would have liked Brian Edwards just because such a high percentage of his receiving yards came on screens in college. But uh, one of the uh, variables doing like really heavy lifting in my model is best season age adjusted something. And so like, I don't know if that's just a flaw in my model or if that's just important. Like, you know, we're okay. Justin Ross had this amazing first year, but that's important. I, I just don't know. Yeah, right. I, I, I wish the week would know. Like, I, I feel like Ross is probably going to not do anything, and it's going to be probably because of health, not because of anything else. Um, I hope that that's not the case. Like I said, I mean, I'd be in on Ross because he's interesting and because there's very clear reasons that aren't related to his talent why he felt, like, massively in the draft, right? And it's health-related. So, for sure, like, if he surfaces and he can make a roster, I'd, I'd be very interested. I'd love to put him on my IR. Um, I already get the feeling that I'm going to regret being lower on, on pickings. Um, that's for sure. But, uh, I, I definitely, uh, I'm white knuckling that. 
Well, processes aren't processes aren't perfect. Like that's the thing. You always have to be evolved. It's a lot like playing Big Brother. The second you feel completely comfortable with what's going on around you, the second you get absolutely slapped in the face, we're right up against the time. Uh, because Jacob, you have to get out of here. We know that. Uh, so Scott, again, I want to thank you, man. If you have any final thoughts, you floor is yours. What you have coming out, I know, like you said, you are busy right up until the Super Bowl, but we will have to get a boot and rally part three. Yeah, man. I don't know. I thought we were going to do three hours again. I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> yeah, blame Jacob. You three can stay on. I got to run. If you three want to stay on, I, I will not stop you. Do it up. We can do it. Billy, what do you got for time? I, I got a bedtime coming, y'all. Okay. I, okay. <laughs> okay. I'm on the doctoral study path. Oh yeah, Mr. P. Leave him wanting more. That's good. That's good. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, I'm gonna harass you till we get a boot and rally three. Uh, final thoughts show today. Anything happening in the last couple of days? You let the people know. Anyone like Phyllis Jones? No, go away, Lucas. You you volunteer Homer. Uh, Yeah, let us know what's going on. Your final thoughts here, man. Is is Phyllis Jones actually older than Joe Mixon? Uh, No, but it's closer than you think. Yeah. He is older than Nikhil Harry. (laughs) Uh, 96 stats comes out in a few days, probably. Working on it now, and, and that's about it. I love that, uh, Scott, you were gracious enough to join us in the middle of yeah. writing an article like yeah. that. That is just absolutely top tier. I, I'm, I'm I on suicide watch right now. It's, 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 rough. it's rough. Well, I'm glad we're here for you. That's that's for sure. I Billy, appreciate final- it. It was a nice break in between the monotony. I love that, man. Big uh, Big Billy, final thoughts before we get out of here. Yeah, I uh, I finally managed to get a Twitch stream going. So Ooh. if any of y'all there play go. chess, I'll be tweeting out my link and y'all can wow, compete me that. a couple times. You're such a PhD, man. Like, you're know, such a PhD, man. It's Jacob. disappointing to be such a stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob, final thoughts. Man, first of all, Scott, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, you're one of my absolute favorite people to talk ball with. And I, I love it because I, I love the way you think of the game really inventively. Um, and you always get like a super unique perspective whenever I get a chance to chat with you. So awesome, awesome having you come on. Um, in terms of stuff I'm working on, it's, it's a busy time. I, I released my final best ball article of the year that was also like kind of halfway a managed uh, tournament article um, with best ball strategy guide part three that came out. It's pinned at the top of my Twitter. Um, we talked about all that stacking stuff. My next article that will come out will be previewing my weekly column for Player Profiler, which is going to be the Hitchhiker's Guide to Running Back. Um, we're going to talk all about how that. to successfully navigate. Um, zero or hero RB teams. And then we're going to go through and screen running backs off of deep bench formats, off of waivers week to week. And we're going to try and beat um, the RB 12 with streaming uh, each, each week. Um, and then I'm going to be hosting the big tilt uh, as a weekly show as well uh, with Chase Vernon on the player profile, our Roto Wonder World Network coming up on um, this fall. So excited for all that great stuff, excited for the season um, and so excited to see some, some takes become reality. Excited to get trolled by Scott when Sky Moore inevitably plays like a percentage of his snaps lower than his number in the first couple of weeks. Um, but I imagine we'll be we'll be scaling that up as the season goes on. No, I I love it. And look, you can catch up tomorrow night. We have the it doesn't stop for us the uh, week round. We had tomorrow night Thursday. We have the full tilt Devi pod. We're going to talk about week zero. That's finally like we have college football to talk about. Uh, Andy Starr and. Um, 
John are going to talk about that tomorrow, Saturday. We have the fantasy walkabout talking about all the cuts, the roster moves. It's just nonstop. Of course, if you haven't played underdog yet, use promo code full tilt. They'll match you up to a hundred dollars. That's four free entries into best ball mania three. Oh my gosh. And, and I just want to reiterate Scott, absolutely phenomenal. Can't wait to read more of your work coming out. I am on that fantasy point site probably more than I rightfully should be, especially when I'm working and everyone listening should be heading over there now, subscribing and doing your work. Of course, like, and subscribe, leave a comment wherever you're listening. I don't care what you say. Tell me that my hat smells funny. I don't care. As long as it's there helps drive us up the charts. We appreciate you for that. Remember be kind on the internet. There are people on the other side of your screens. I think that's something that gets lost. Uh, often especially if you're on the hellscape that is twitter so try not to be a giant piece of shit on the internet remember that clear eyes and full hearts can never lose your best days well, god damn they're always spent tilting good night everyone 